Good morning, church. Before I get started, I have to say that I absolutely love to eat. You thought I was going to say I love you, huh? It's not always about you, okay? But I, really, honestly, I, I do. I have to tell you that I love you, and I appreciate you so very much. I've been gone a couple times this past month. I appreciate so much Matt Mead and Marcus Stinson taking my place over the last few weeks. They did a tremendous job, and I'll tell you, no matter where I go, no matter what crowd I get to speak to, this is my absolute favorite. I love being here with you. I love and appreciate this congregation so very much. But I do, I, to get back to what I was saying, I do love to eat. I love to eat. I love different kinds of foods. I love foods from all over the world, all different kinds of things. Holly thinks sometimes I'm going to, you know, overdo it or eat something I shouldn't eat, but she thinks I'm very courageous in the things that I eat. I think I'm just curious, right? I, I mean, I, I think I'm going to start saying when somebody asks, what's your favorite food? I think my new answer is going to be, I, I don't know yet, right? I don't know yet. Some of y'all have given up on finding your favorite food. And you just say, pizza or hamburgers. You found your favorite food at like 10. I'm not, I'm not so settled yet. I still haven't found my favorite food. I love different kinds of food. I love to eat, but I'll tell you my favorite thing about eating, my favorite thing about eating is who I get to eat with, the people with whom I get to eat and share a meal, to be with them. And that's what our new series is all about. And I was thinking that because things are getting better, Praise God. Amen. Praise God that things are getting better. And I'm incredibly thankful that things are getting better because one of the things that I missed the most in 2020 was eating with people. And so we're going to spend this month thinking about the significance, the importance of eating with people, sharing meals with each other. We're even going to give you a couple of Sunday nights where that's going to be our emphasis on those Sunday nights. Mark Bryson will tell you more about that in the coming weeks where we just encourage you to share a meal with someone. And so all month long, we're going to think about and talk about sharing a meal, coming to the table, sharing meals with each other, sharing meals with people you don't typically share a meal with, sharing meals with people you don't know very well, share meals together. And so each week, we're going to look at a different time that Jesus came to the table with someone, a different story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus reclined at table with someone and shared a meal with them. A couple weeks ago, we were up in the mountains of New Mexico at Camp Blue Haven. We got to work with some kids up there, and there was a staff member there at Blue Haven. And if any of your young people have been to Blue Haven, you probably know this person's name. His name is Joey, and Joey works with uh, the Ropes Course. He's the Ropes Course Director, and Joey's probably in his 40s, uh, bi biologically, physically, he's in his 40s, but he's just one of these big kids, you know? He's just a, he's just a great big kid. He, I was going to show you a picture. He's got a long beard. He's got a mohawk. The kids love him. He's a blast. He, they, they, they love Joey, and, and one of the things about Joey, when we came home from camp, my youngest son, Noah, said, if Joey ever sat beside you at a meal, you felt like you won the lottery. If Joey sat beside you at a meal, you felt like you won the lottery. And I said, that, that, that's it right there. That idea, that's the idea that I want to capture in this series. That's the truth about Jesus. Because if Jesus chose to sit beside you at a meal, it's even better than winning the lottery. If Jesus said, I want 
you. I want to have a meal with you. I want you at my table. I want to be at your table. Your whole world would change just by Jesus saying, I want to do life with you. I want to share a meal with you. I want to be at your table. And see, the ancient people, I think, understood this probably better than we do. As Caleb said a few minutes ago, every time we turn the page in the Bible, it's something about food, isn't it? From the very beginning, the very beginning, the garden story is about what food to eat and what food not to eat. And so much of the law revolved around what foods could be eaten and what foods shouldn't be eaten, what meals, what feasts should be celebrated and how those feasts should be celebrated. When Jesus when Jesus compares the kingdom of God to something, he often compares it to a banquet, to a wedding feast, to a celebration. And then every week we gather together and part of our worship, part of our fellowship, part of what we do every single week is share a meal with each other, is share bread and share the cup to remind ourselves this is who we are. Because in the ancient world, in the biblical culture, meals weren't just about eating food. It wasn't just about taking in calories. It wasn't just about getting nourishment. Meals were about honor, honor, and joy, community, and identity. Now, in our culture, if you want to know who am I, and we're always asking that, aren't we? Who am I? In our culture, if you want to know who you are, you look inside yourself. But in the biblical culture, if you want to know who am I, you look around at the table. You look at who's sitting at this table with me. With whom do I sit and where do I sit at that table? If you wanted to know who you were, you looked at your community. You looked around your table. And so it's, it's sometimes hard for us to appreciate just how significant a meal was and how significant a meal should be. Here's a statistic that probably won't surprise us, but a survey in 2019 showed that the average American eats alone or alone with their phone. I'm not sure how that's much different, but alone or with their phone more often than with another person. See, that doesn't, that doesn't strike us as shocking. And I'm sure that now, after 2020, that, that's even more. Where we eat alone more than we eat with another person. And that doesn't strike us as shocking. But in the ancient world, in the biblical culture, that would have been incredibly surprising. Incredibly shocking. Because a meal is more than just getting your nourishment. It's more than just getting your calories. It's who are you. And so in this series, I want us to embrace the significance. I want us to understand the significance of Jesus saying to us, I want to be at your table. I want you to be at my table. I want to share a meal with you. I want us to embrace and recapture the significance of the table, the significance of sharing a meal with each other. So our text this morning is from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. That was read for us already. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. The text says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
Now, a couple things I want us to notice. Now, Levi is probably Matthew that wrote the gospel account of Matthew. And, and, and it says that Levi is a what? A tax collector, a tax collector. And sometimes when we read the Bible, sometimes we take these terms like Pharisee or Sadducee or tax collector or whatever these different groups were, and we sort of think of them in religious categories. But if you had lived in ancient Israel, you wouldn't have thought of them necessarily in specifically religious categories. These were political categories. They were social categories. And for somebody to be a tax collector meant that they had decided, they had chosen to choose a path, a way of life that was outside of the group of the Jews. For them to choose a life that said, I would rather have money than I would family. They had brought disgrace on their entire family. In fact, they couldn't even, even if they wanted to, they couldn't tithe their money to the synagogue or to the temple. They couldn't give their money because their money was no good there. We won't take your money. We won't accept your money. In fact, they couldn't even testify in a law court. These were people that had been ostracized, but you didn't really feel sorry for them because they had sided with the enemy. They were bullies. They were oppressors. They were oppressive people. They had chosen the other side. They had chosen to become enemies of God's people. And God's people said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. You're out of our family. You're out of our community. We would rather you didn't exist. It goes way beyond however you feel about taxes now. It goes way beyond that. And these people were on the outside of the community. And there was no coming back in for them. But it says that when Jesus comes to Levi and says, follow me. Not only did Levi follow him, but it says he left, what? Everything. He left everything. He didn't just leave his tax booth for that day. He left everything. He left his job. He left his career. He left his politics. He left his power. He left his pursuits. Everything that he was pursuing, everything he was, everything that he had been doing, everything that he had spent, however long of his life he had been doing this and pursuing this and having this, he left it all. And he said, I'm done. Everything has changed because Jesus wants me to follow him. Levi is living out the parable that Jesus told. Do you remember Jesus says the kingdom is like this. Here's what the kingdom is like. It's like a man who finds a treasure in a field and when he finds that treasure he goes and he sells what? Everything. All that he has so that he can buy that field and have that treasure. Or it's like someone who finds a pearl of great price and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy that pearl. Levi is living that out. And in fact, every disciple of Jesus lives that out. When they find Jesus... And we say, I want him more than all of the power, more than all of the pursuits, more than all the politics, more than everything I had and everything I was and everything I was doing. I want Jesus. And Levi said, I want him more than everything else. And Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus. And then it says in verse 29, and Levi made him, made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And I want you to notice, again, we said that ancient meals were about honor and joy and community 
and identity. And, and we see that here, don't we? That this is the way you honor someone. You throw them a feast. And so Levi is honoring Jesus. He's honoring his new master, his new rabbi, his Messiah, and saying, I want to lift you up. And so he throws him a party to honor him. He throws him a feast to honor him. And this is what you do when you're excited. This is what you do when you have joy. This is what you do when you rejoice. When it's time to rejoice, when something good has happened, you, you throw a party. You, you have a feast. You say, come, come and eat my bread. Come and share my food. This is what you do when you have joy. And so, of course, that's what Levi is doing. He's left everything. Everything's gone. But forget it. It doesn't matter. I don't need it. Whatever it was, whatever I had, whatever I was pursuing, I don't need any of those things. I have everything I need in Jesus. But it's also about community and identity, isn't it? And Levi is identifying himself with Jesus. And he's saying, he's my community now. He's He's all that I have and all that I am is wrapped up in him. And so he's publicly identifying himself with Jesus. And we might not be too shocked about that. Of course, he's willing to identify with Jesus. Of course, he's willing to claim Jesus. But of course, that might not have been so accepted in, in the tax collector circles. We often talk about how the tax collectors were not accepted in the religious circles, but can you imagine how his tax collector friends felt about him throwing a party for a rabbi? But Levi says, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what your opinion is. I am going to publicly identify myself with Jesus. But what, what really is surprising, what really is shocking, is that Jesus chooses to publicly identify himself with Levi and to say, he's one of mine. He's one of mine. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what you say about it. I don't care what you've heard about him. I don't care your opinions or your feelings on the matter. He's one of mine. But what might even be more shocking than that is that Jesus publicly identifies with Levi's friends. Levi's friends who haven't yet, as far as we know, left everything to follow Jesus. But Jesus still says, I'm going to have a meal with them too. They're welcome at my table. I'm welcome at their table. We are going to share a meal with each other. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, the, the word Pharisee means separated one, someone who's separate. The Pharisees built their identity around being separate from, not just from the Gentiles, but from Jewish people who had compromised with the Gentiles. Jewish people who were acting like Gentiles. And the Pharisees built their entire identity around the fact that we don't have anything to do with them, with those people, with people who live like the world, with Gentile-like people. We don't eat with them. We don't eat anything they touch. We don't do anything with them. We don't associate with them. They are not a part of our 
community. In fact, even the word sinner, sinner doesn't just mean someone who made a mistake, somebody who sinned, someone who did something wrong, but it, it's someone who is identified as a rebellious person. We don't have anything to do with them anymore. And again, and again, we have to sympathize with that a little bit, don't we? Because the tax collectors were not nice people. These weren't people that were just picked on. These were people that had chosen a path of oppression. These are people that had chosen a path of rebellion. These are people who have chosen a path to associate themselves with the Gentile world rather than with their Jewish brothers and sisters. And the Pharisees said, we don't want to have anything to do with them. But notice the contrast here. Notice the contrast between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees saw the table, the Pharisees saw the table as an opportunity for purity, to demonstrate purity, but Jesus saw it as an opportunity to demonstrate mercy. Do you see the difference? The Pharisees saw the table as an opportunity to say, we don't do table with people like that. We don't do table with people who live like that. We don't do table with people who make choices like that. We don't do table with people that are like that. The Pharisees saw the table as an opportunity to demonstrate purity, what they were against, what they wouldn't associate with. But Jesus saw the table as an opportunity to demonstrate mercy to demonstrate mercy. And when they ask him, why, why do you eat with these kind of people? We know you're not a tax collector. We know you don't live like the Gentiles. We know you don't do those kind of, you're a rabbi. You, you're, you're faithful to the law, the Torah. We haven't seen you. We've been looking for opportunities to say you don't keep the law, but you keep it. And here you are eating with people like that. Why don't you do things like us and use the table as an opportunity to demonstrate purity? And Jesus says, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Here's why. Here's why I am choosing to eat with people that you reject. Because I came to save sinners. I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call the sinful to repentance. It's not healthy people that need a doctor. If a doctor shows up in town, he doesn't just hang out with the well people. He hangs out with the sick people because it's the sick people who need a doctor. Amen? It's the sick people who need a doctor. And Jesus says, this is me showing them mercy. Not to, to say I'm okay with tax collecting. Not to say I'm okay with the Romans. Not to say I'm okay with the life that they're living or the choices that they've made. But to say I love them. And I want to show them mercy. See, this is what the gospel is all about, isn't it? God shows up. God shows up in the flesh. And his people are not being faithful. His people are not being righteous. But instead of coming to his people with the sword, he comes to his people with the cross. Instead of coming to them in anger, instead of coming to them in punishment, he comes to them in mercy. He doesn't call them to repentance at the point of a sword. He calls them to repentance at a table of mercy to say, come, come. It's through his kindness and his love and his mercy that he calls them to repentance. 
And repentance means a change, doesn't it? He's calling Levi not to continue on the path that he's on, not to keep living the way that he's living. He's calling Levi to change. He's calling Levi to repentance. He's calling Levi's friends to change and to repentance, but he's not calling them to repentance with anger and frustration and throwing things around. He's calling them to repentance at the table of mercy. For Jesus, the table was an opportunity to demonstrate the mercy and the kindness of God. Look at verse 33. And they, the Pharisees, said to him, the disciples of John, they fast often and they offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. You see what the Pharisees are saying? They're saying, this isn't how it's done. You don't understand how it's done, Jesus. You, you, don't, you don't get it. This is not the way we do things around here. This is not the way we do things. Everybody, whether it's John, the, the, the baptizer's disciples, or the Pharisees of the Pharisees' disciples, whoever it is, if they're religious people, they're fasting and praying. They're very somber. And Jesus says, what's there to be somber about? When the bridegroom is here, you don't fast like you're at a funeral. You feast because the bridegroom is here. He says there's going to come a day when the bridegroom is taken away and then they'll fast. I, I kind of always thought of that time period as being now, like now the bridegroom has ta been taken away, but maybe Jesus just means that when, when he's crucified. But then guess what? That wasn't the end of the story. Jesus was raised and Jesus is with us. And so even though we may fast from time to time for the, the sake of discipline, it's still not the, the time for mourning. It's the time for rejoicing. It's the time for feasting. Why? Because the bridegroom is with us. For us to do the same thing that Levi does. Leave everything. Leave everything that we were before. Leave everything that we had before. Leave everything that we were pursuing before. Leave everything that we thought before. And throw a party in the name of Jesus and rejoice because the bridegroom is with us. And so Jesus tells this parable in answer to the question, why don't you do things the way they're done? Why don't you do things the way we do things? He says in verse 36, he told them this parable, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new garment and the piece from the new will not match the old. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming to just patch things up. I'm not coming to just put a little patch on something old with something new. We're not going to just take the old way of doing things and we'll just patch it up a little bit. I'll just bring a, a new little teaching, a new little nugget, a, a new little thing right here, and we'll just add that to what you're already doing. That's how we try to treat Jesus, isn't it? We try to treat Jesus as like, okay, well, you know, I've got a pretty good thing going here, Jesus. Things are going pretty well. I've got my path. I've got my pursuit. I've got my politics. I've got my whatever. And yeah, I mean, I'll let you speak into that a little bit. Just, you know patch me up just a little bit. I got a few things here and there that could use a little patching. Jesus says it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I didn't come to patch up the old. You can't do that because it'll tear. It doesn't match. It doesn't work. You, you can't do it that way. 
Levi had it figured out, didn't he? Levi understood that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I can't just have him patch up my life. I've got to leave my old life. I have to leave everything and follow Jesus. That's the only way it works. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to patch things up. I came to bring something totally new. That's why my disciples don't do things your way. That's why we don't do things the old way, because I came to bring something totally new. He says in verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Again, you can't just add Jesus to what you've already got going on. It doesn't work that way. The Pharisees might have been okay if Jesus would show up and say, hey, I just have a couple little tweaks. I just have a couple of little additions. I just want to add this to what you're already doing. I just want to pour this into what you already have. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. You got to get rid of the old wineskins. You got to get rid of the old garment. You've got to be like Levi and say, I'm leaving it all behind. See, this is why it was easier for Levi than it was for the Pharisees. Levi looked at what he had, and he looked at what Jesus was offering, and he said, I'd rather have that than this. I'd rather have what he's offering than what I already have. But the Pharisees said, oh, no, I, I mean, I kind of like what I got going on. I kind of like this, this old way, this old life, these old things And sure, I'll let somebody pour into me a little bit. I'll let somebody patch me a little bit. But I don't want to change everything. Jesus says, verse 39, And no one, after drinking old wine, desires the new. For he says, the old is good. See, that was the Pharisees' problem, wasn't it? The old is good. We're good. We're satisfied. We we got a good thing going on. Don't mess up what we have. Why are you coming along trying to change everything? But that's what it is, isn't it? Everything. When Jesus comes to your table, or when you come to the table of Jesus, everything has to change. Everything has to change. You have to say, I'm going to leave everything. And now my life revolves around him Now he's the one I honor. Now he is my joy. Now he is my strength. Now he is my community. Now he is my identity. And everything now revolves around Jesus. I'm not going to just treat Jesus as if he's a new patch on an old garment, as if he's just new wine I'm going to pour into my old wineskins. I'm getting rid of the old wineskins. I'm getting rid of the old wine. I'm getting rid of the, the old clothes. And everything has to become brand new. And this is why for Levi, it was an easy choice. And why for the Pharisees, it was a difficult choice. But it's a choice that every single one of us have to make. And we have to embrace the reality that it's worth, it's worth leaving everything to share a table with Jesus. Have you ever known somebody like Joey? Somebody that you thought, man, I just wish they'd pick me. I just wish they'd sit by me. And if they did, if they sat by you, you felt like, everybody see this? Everybody see who's sitting by me? Everybody see this? I'm going to sit by them. Take a selfie real quick so you can say, hey, I sat by them. They sat by me. They picked me. They could have sat by anybody, but they picked me. That's how Levi felt. Jesus picked me. He loves me. 
And it changed not only how Levi felt about Jesus, but how Levi felt about Levi. See, when Jesus says, I want to be with you, it changes not only how you feel about Jesus, it changes how you feel about yourself. And you embrace this reality that it's worth leaving everything to be at table with Jesus, to share a table with Jesus. Some of us are still wrestling with that, aren't we? Some of us are still wrestling with that. We're holding on to certain things. Because when, when it says to leave everything, to sell everything, to trade everything, to give away everything, it's not just talking about our sin. It's not just talking about our sin. It's talking about our power. It's talking about our pursuits. It's talking about our politics. It's talking about everything we were pursuing before and everything we were before and everything we were doing before and all the ways we thought before and everything becomes brand new. But Jesus is worth it. It's worth giving away everything, leaving everything to share a table with Jesus. Some of us are still wrestling with that reality. And some of us have embraced it, but we sort of go back and forth, don't we? We say, well, the old is pretty good. And Jesus says, no, the new, the new is better. So we, we embrace that reality. But, but here's a question I really want us to wrestle with as we go through this week. Would sinners, would sinners, and, and by sinners, I mean whoever you think of as sinners. Because there's some people you think of as sinners, right? People that have chosen a way that is wrong, people that have chosen a way that is rebellious, people that have chosen a way, not just religiously, but socially or politically or whatever category you want to put it in, people who have chosen a way that puts them outside of the family of God, would they want to leave everything to share a table with us? See, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Because we're supposed to be the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. We're supposed to be carrying on his mission. We're supposed to be his hands and his feet. We're supposed to be the body of Christ in the world, aren't we? And so people should say, should say, being with those people, being with Jesus' people is worth leaving everything to share a table with them. But whoever those people are, Whoever those people are, in your mind, in your heart, whoever those people are that you think of as sinners, as those people that are outside, as those people that are other, whoever those people are, not, not who does your neighbor think they are, but who do you think they are, would they want to be at table with you? Would they feel blessed that you want to be with them? Would they look at us collectively as a whole and say, I feel like I won the lottery because those Christian people want me to share a life with them, want me to share a table with them, would they recognize that it's worth leaving everything to share a table with Jesus and his people? Because church, guess what? It is. It is. It's worth leaving everything to share a table with Jesus and his people. Now it's our job to go into the world and help them to understand, help everyone to understand how worth it it is, that it is worth it to leave everything to share a table with Jesus. So if you're ready to share a table with Jesus by being baptized into him, 
or if you need prayers or encouragement, if there's any way we can help you this morning, now's a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing this song.